1: All right, Welcome in. Late Kick is live. It is Sunday night. It is May 31st, the year of our Lord, 2020. we got a jam-packed show tonight. We've got, uh, believe it or not, just college football, wall-to-wall. We're going to do maybe a little something different towards the end of the show. We're all about access. We're all about information here, and we're going to give you a ton, a wheelbarrow full of both of those, and uh, we're going to do some other things, too. So, I want you to remember we've got some scheduling changes coming up that really won't be scheduling changes, just a few format changes for this upcoming week cause it's that time of decade. I'm going on vacation. So we're going to talk some tier one programs tonight. We're going to briefly kick it up to Ann Arbor, Michigan to revisit a topic that we started to hit on a couple of weeks ago. As soon as the notification got sent out for this show, one of my buddies texted me and said, you're bashing Michigan again tonight. Well, a no, we haven't bashed Michigan period. B, I would argue we're going to be fairly positive towards Michigan tonight, but also realistic. So stay tuned for that. And also, as I said, we um, we don't do a lot of interviews on the show. And by a lot, I mean rarely ever. And tonight's not an interview show. Thursday will be different for a different reason. But what I am going to do tonight is I had a Power 5 coach hit me up yesterday, said, hey, let me come on the show. So we found a way to work that out. And When we bring people on this show in the rare event that we do, I'm not asking them these cookie cutter surface based questions that you could hear asked anywhere. I remember back in the day when I used to watch press conferences or I used to look at interviews and listen to interviews, nobody would ever ask the questions that I wanted to hear asked. So I always swore if I ever get a chance with these guys, I'm going to ask some stuff that makes them really dive deep and pull back the curtain and give you a real new and never before seen look at the sport that you love. So we're going to do a little bit of that tonight with Mario Cristobal from Oregon. We'll get to all that in due time, but let's start with this. Tier one programs. And what do we mean by that? I mean the very, very select few, and I'll list them in just a second. It won't take more than one breath to do. But as you saw and as we discussed Thursday night, JT Daniels transfers from USC to Georgia. And that was unexpected. I don't know if it was necessarily the biggest shockwave that's ever been sent through college football, but it was a little bit unexpected. And so as I detailed Thursday night, if you missed it, then you can watch the replay or you can watch the individual video. They can both be found on the late kick with Josh Pate playlist on the 24/7 sports YouTube channel. There were about 90% of George Bulldog fans that had the same reaction I did. Well, that's great. Let's stack as many good options as we can on the roster. That's how the elite programs in college football do it. And then we'll just let competition sort it out. And then there was the vast minority, but vocal minority, funny how that works. And the vocal minority said a whole lot of things I disagreed with. So basically what I wanted to do with tonight's show to lead it off is I wanted to talk about how a tier one program is wired, how the elite of the elite, are wired and why they are elite it's no mistake that the same programs just seem to win every year and they seem to land the top recruiting classes every year and you would look around and you would think hmm well if we applied professional sports logic to college sports then just the big market teams should be good right that's not the way it works in college because different dynamics are in place in college so briefly let's talk about it you can disagree or agree with me here tier one programs i mean the best of the best pretty much all factors taken into the equation here. I've got Alabama, LSU, and Georgia from the SEC. Those are the tier one programs to me in the Southeastern Conference. I think there's one of them in the Big Ten right now, and that's clearly Ohio State. And I think there's one of them in the ACC, and that's obviously Clemson. You could argue Oklahoma here. I did not put Oklahoma in it. You could argue Oregon could approach this status in the near future, which they could. I agree with you on both counts. I didn't put them in here. Notice... I'm not telling you that the only programs that exhibit the characteristics that it takes to be elite were included on this list. I'm telling you these are tier one programs, and then there may be some others out there on the periphery or on their way up that are also doing it the right way. They're just not there quite yet. So here's what happened. What happened was JT Daniels makes his announcement, And then he's headed to Georgia, and the minority, albeit very small minority, but the vocal minority of Georgia Bulldog fans that I was talking about on the Thursday show, they brought up points like this. What if this upsets the quarterback room chemistry? What if it upsets the psyche of quarterbacks already on the roster? What does this say to Jamie Newman? We brought him in from Wake Forest, and now all of a sudden, we bring in another transfer quarterback. Maybe he'll be eligible this year, maybe not. But what does it say to Carson Beck, Brought Vandergriff, guys that we have already on the roster or committed? What about guys who have waited their turn? This is kind of something you hear outside of quarterback. Just, you know, if you get a transfer safety in, and you got guys that have waited their turn, what about these guys who have waited their turn? Here's what I wanna tell you about tier one programs. And the first thing I want to tell you is the inside of a program, the mentality there doesn't always necessarily reflect that of every one of its fans. So if you're a fan sitting on the sidewalk saying these things, it doesn't mean Kirby Smart saying the same thing in the Butts Mare Athletic Complex in Athens, Georgia. They don't have these conversations in Columbus, Ohio, or Tuscaloosa, or Baton Rouge, or Athens, Clemson, anywhere where I mentioned tier ones and beyond. As I said, this is not just exclusive to a few programs, but... The thing about it is, as long as you look around the landscape of college football, and as long as there are tier one programs, you are never going to be where they are if you think like the, albeit vast minority that I just mentioned, think. You can't worry about feelings. I know this is kind of popular when you try and make yourself sound intellectually superior to a room. I don't care about feelings, I'm above feelings. Well, sometimes you guys are full of it. But other times, as is the case right here, you better have taken that into account, and that better be how you're running your program. Now, here's how the Tier 1 programs run, and here's why they are where they are. Everyone's clear on message, everyone's clear on goals, everyone's doing their job, and everything you need is provided. We're looking at Ed Orgeron right now, if you're watching on the YouTube channel. Ed Orgeron just won a national championship, so he's a good example to look at right here. Ed Orgeron did everything the way he should have done it last year, but he could do the same job, put forth the same effort, and end up nine and three if he wasn't given an adequate recruiting budget, if they weren't given the facilities they need to compete with the other tier ones in order to get folks in the door, if they didn't have an army of support staff and analysts, the likes of which it takes to properly match the army they have at Alabama or the army they have at Ohio State. The point is, It extends beyond just the effort the guys you have in the room are putting in. You've also gotta have top-down buy-in from your administration, from your donor class, from your president, from your athletic director. Everyone's gotta be all in. And at the tier one places, the ones I just mentioned, there is no questioning of are you pulling this way when he's pulling this way, when she's pulling that way? Everyone's pulling the same direction. You can't afford not to because if you're split, on what the goal is and what the purpose is and who's doing what job, you end up like Texas has been for a little while. You end up like Alabama was in the pre Saban era. All the tradition in the world, all the resources at your disposal, and yet you can't get out of your own way. It's not that hard to spot the athletic departments across the country where people aren't all pulling in the same direction. So then we look around and we see the recruiting landscape. And this is really where the rubber meets the road when you talk about how you gotta keep recruiting the best, and you can't worry about who's on your roster right now, you gotta keep trying to recruit over them. Well, that's exactly what the recruiting process is. For a tier one program, for the best, Ryan Day, we're looking at him right now, Kirby Smart, Nick Saban, Orgeron, Dabo Swinney, the way that those guys do it is they recruit you, and they're pretty straightforward with you. And I know a lot of you guys believe that the way that they land these top five classes after top five classes is they just go out and they promise playing time and their illegal benefits and all this stuff. That's not the real world. It's just not the way it works. I've explained this to you a couple of weeks ago. What happens with most of these programs is they go out and they want to use the recruiting process as a filtration process. Here's what I mean by that. If you know, as we said before, if you know that there are other programs out there wired like this, where they make everything ultra difficult and ultra competitive, that by default is how you have to be wired or you're not gonna be able to match them. How do you do that in recruiting? Well, the way you do it in recruiting is you walk into a kid's living room and you tell them, we want you, we don't need you, we're gonna win with or without you. We would love for you to be a part of this program, but there are no guarantees of playing time, first off. And secondly, there is no guarantee of Once we land you, well, that's pretty much it at your position for the next couple of years because we got you, so we know we're good. They're trying to recruit over you the moment you sign. They want to land someone better the moment you sign. And they're honest with you about it if they're running things the right way. And here's what it's meant to do. What it's meant to do is it's meant to challenge you mentally because if you're turned off by that ideology, if you're turned off by the notion of them trying to recruit athletes the caliber of you or even better than you, then you're not the kind of player that is wired mentally to compete at and get a starting job at a tier one program. Their whole philosophy is they'd much rather find that out about you when you're a senior in high school than two years into your college career when it turns out you were not mentally tough enough to make it there, but you're taking up a roster spot. So in summary, that's the way that they operate at tier one programs, and that's the way you gotta operate if you're ever gonna match them. And now you ask yourself maybe, well, what does Oklahoma have to do? Because Oklahoma is a team that's been in the playoff conversation, been in the playoffs, but they can't seem to get over that hump. The Oklahoma problem, if you want to call it that, I don't think is any kind of an ideological problem. I I just think that it's maybe a little bit harder to get a defensive roster in place, just like that, that matches what you got to defend against, for example, LSU. Alex Grinch came in there, had a grand total of, well, less than a year, and really no time to put his defensive roster together, and last year's Peach Bowl was what it was. I'm not saying it only takes what I just talked about. I'm saying that's the starting point. That's kind of the foundation that you have to have built in order to ever start climbing towards you know, where these other programs hang out. Think about how close it is, even if you've got it all in line. Think about Ohio State and Ryan Day. They get out to the Fiesta Bowl last year and get a pretty sizable lead on Clemson, and yet still couldn't put them away. You're doing all the stuff right. You're doing everything right, and it's still margins. It's just fractions of an inch here and there. You could beat Purdue by a million points. You could beat Iowa by a million points just like Clemson could beat Wake Forest by a million points. None of that really matters in the grand scheme of things because that's not what we're talking about with them. A lot of people look at maybe Clemson's recruiting efforts and they say, when is enough enough? You know, you're already beating everybody by a country mile in the ACC. That's not what they're recruiting for. They're recruiting to beat Bama and Georgia and LSU and Oklahoma. That's the kind of program they have to beat. That's why when we're looking at Ohio State right now, it's the same thing. It doesn't matter how wide the gap is between them and the Big Ten, because there is no gap between Ohio State and the three or four other programs that I just mentioned in Tier One. You might as well put them in their own conference, because when the conversation about Tier Ones and college football playoff and all that, when that starts, those are the programs that are there. Let us move on. You guys probably saw our social distance interview Brandon Marcello conducted with Jim Harbaugh. It got a lot of national run. As I was editing it, or I guess I didn't do the editing. Colin does the editing. As I was doing the uploading, I saw what Harbaugh had said in response to Brandon Marcello's question about how close are you? And I knew how it was going to be taken. And I knew it was going to be taken out of context. And it was going to be soundbite city. And it was going to be hot take city pretty much everywhere outside of Well, here, to be honest with you. And it was. So the question has been bantied about all week. Well, how close is Michigan really? And is Jim Harbaugh right? Are they really this close? Well, first off, you need to understand that's not really what he said. And second off, you need to understand no answer this man could possibly give in an interview is good enough right now. They just have to win. Doesn't matter that he says, well, we're angry we haven't beaten Ohio State. Someone says, well, you don't look angry. Well, why don't you just win? So there is no answer that he can give on these things that appeases everyone. So he just kind of talks like a robot, kind of just spits out coach speak and sound bites. And that's exactly what I would do if I were in his position. That's why I'm not critical of him. But there are a lot of people that are telling you Jim Harbaugh said, We are as close as we possibly can be to winning a championship. That's not what he said. I was in this press conference. This first place I learned about what Verbo was, by the way, the Citrus Bowl last year. Anyway, Harbaugh didn't say we're as close as we can be. What he said, pay close attention, friends, is we've been as close as you can be. And that's not wrong. Need I take you back a few years? We do have to go a few years. We got to go back to like 2016. 2015, whenever that was, when they played Ohio State and it's overtime and it's less than the width of this piece of paper's difference between first down and ball game. Well, if they win that game, I mean, they're in the playoff. And that was a year where it was going to be very reasonable to expect them to possibly win a national championship. Point being, he said, we've been there. We have gotten to the point where we were as close as we could be. And he's right. There's the Clemson syndrome, though. And so I went on the michiganinsider.com message board. It's our Michigan 24-7 site. And I was looking at, this is what I was really interested in. I wanted to know how were Michigan fans taking what he said. And they took it pretty well. I mean, they're a very reasonable group of people for the most part. And they understand what the situation is there for the most part. And a lot of them said what I just said. Well, you know, he's right. It just maybe feels like we've drifted further away. And I don't disagree with you there. Now, I agree with you wholeheartedly there. But I saw Brandon actually speak of the devil. He popped in on that thread, and he made the Clemson-Dabo Swinney comparison. And just as we've made this one on the show several times about, recently, Penn State, you could make it about Michigan, too. Uh, we make the American Ninja Warrior reference, where you're watching these people compete in this ridiculous event, and they got this playground for adults set up in this obstacle course. And every so often, they make people try and jump and grab the monkey bars. And if you miss, you fall 20 feet into a pool or into a, a, a ball pit or whatever they have under you. But the thing about it is those people are strong enough by default. They got on a show called American Ninja Warrior. So They're strong enough to where if they jump and they finally grab the monkey bars, they're strong enough to pull themselves up. What you're waiting on with a program like Michigan, just as you used to be waiting down in Clemson for your program, you're waiting on what it's going to take for us to jump and finally grab onto the monkey bars. Because Clemson was jumping pretty high for a little while, but they were falling flat. You know, they they win the conference, but then they get crushed in the Orange Bowl. They look good. They look like a double-digit win team, but they can't get over the Florida State hump. And they couldn't do it. You remember that term, Clemsoning? They couldn't do it. That was the perception until they did it. I was asking last week, could Penn State eventually be that? I think there are a lot of commonalities. It's not a mirror image, but there are some common traits between what Penn State's been, where they are right now, with James Franklin and where Clemson and Dabo Swinney uh, were and collectively four years into his tenure. Well, could we make that assertion about where Jim Harbaugh is with Michigan? I don't think it's the craziest concept in the world, but here's the bottom line. Whether we agree with it or not, if you're just entertaining me for a second for argument's sake, if you're a Michigan fan, what I'd be yelling right now is, okay, well, let's talk about your stupid monkey bar analogy. How do we jump up there and how do we grab the monkey bars? It's a good question. Ironically, that's where I was going to go next. I'm glad you guys asked. Two things. Everyone goes to the offense, and that's obvious. And I'll go there in a second. However, when you've watched Michigan have these highly rated defenses, there have been a couple of times where I've watched them go into the Ohio State game, for example, with, from a reputation standpoint, a pretty solid defensive unit. And athletically, they get overmatched. And they kind of looked like this against Alabama at times in the, uh, the uh, Citrus Bowl. I don't always like drawing conclusions away from bowl games. But in the regular season, this has happened with Ohio State a couple times. I know some of you have been very critical of Don Brown. And as much as people are talking about Michigan offensively, there have been some people, I know them because I talk to them all the time, that have said, you know who I have some doubts about, about being able to compete at the highest level unless they overhaul something conceptually, and that's Don Brown. I'm just parroting what I hear, but we do talk about offense, and we do talk about offense with Michigan, and that's kind of where I go back to, like getting a superstar quarterback in there, you got a five-star committed right now, so maybe that's the answer, but I always go back, because you know how much I rely on metaphors on this, um, on this show, I always go back to knowing, regardless of whether you have the formula, the blueprint, there is no formula out there that allows you to just grow a tree in a day. No matter how much you focus on it, no matter how hard you work at it, no how many many great decisions you make, there is no formula that lets you grow a tree in a day. But there is a formula that lets you plant the proper seed and then focus on it, care for it, and have patience, which is the rarest commodity in the world of college football, and eventually you get what you want. My point there is, Josh Gaddis has been in town a year. How do we know that that's not the right seed and we just have to wait a little while for it to bear fruit. Josh Gattis came in there and everybody thinks that because Joe Brady came into LSU and did it overnight, that if you've hired the right guy, he'll do it overnight. And that's not the case. Joe Brady, let me put it to you like this. If Jim Harbaugh had hired Joe Brady last year, I don't think Michigan's offensive output would have come close to being in the same galaxy as what Joe Brady did at LSU. Why is that? Well, I think the R word is pretty important here, and that's roster. So part one is get the right guy in there. I'm not telling you definitively Gattis is. I think you have to have confidence that Jim Harbaugh made the right decision. B, Josh Gattis wasn't a 15 year offensive coordinator. There could be some learning on the job he has to do, but C, even if he was ready, the moment he stepped on campus, you gotta have the ingredients in the kitchen. They haven't had the ingredients in the kitchen. Now, early returns on last year, and especially this year's recruiting cycle, indicate that they're in it for some of those ingredients. Those ingredients, of course, being elite high school athletes. Gotta go get them. They're in it for several receivers, couple in California I've been keeping my eye on. Quarterbacks already at least verbally committed. So hopefully these are some early returns. But the thing about it is, you're not finding out overnight. And I know that's a tough pill to swallow when you're already this many years into a head coach's tenure. As I said, patience, the rarest commodity in the world. And the bad thing about patience, as Tennessee fans have found out, is sometimes when you exhibit patience, you're still not guaranteed to have a positive return on your investment. That was, in a nutshell, the Butch Jones era in Tennessee. So I can't guarantee having patience is gonna pay off either. I I can just guarantee you that, It's probably, percentage-wise, a better alternative than, you know, just marching on the athletic complex with torches and pitchforks if you don't go to the playoff this year.
0: I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me.
1: kind of told you this before, our general philosophy on Late Kick is we don't spend a whole lot of time, obviously, on wardrobe, we don't dress the show up with fancy graphics. In fact, we believe that you have left a lot of programming that exhibits those sorts of characteristics for the more alternative media, stripped down version that instead capitalizes on offering you two things, information and access. I listen to you guys, you give me the best free market research, that money can't buy, and that is your actual opinion. What do you want to watch? What do you want to listen to? And over and over and over again, in varying degrees, you tell me give me access, give me stuff no one else gives me, and give me information. I want to be able to see behind the scenes, and I want something that dives deeper than just hot takes here and there. Let's fly above the sport at 30,000 feet and just kind of look down on it. I want you to be in it, and I want you to. Bring me into it with you as much as you can. So I'm going on vacation this upcoming week, which will make sense in a second as to how it relates to this. Mario Cristobal got in touch with me Friday after we had talked about Oregon Thursday. And basically he said, hey, I'm coming on the show. Make it happen. So we made it happen. Now, a lot of what I'm about to show you is going to air on the Thursday night edition. Here's the format for the Thursday show. I'm gonna be on a beach somewhere. So the Thursday show is going to be part mailbag, So get as many questions as you can into me, and then it's gonna be part our sit down interview with Oregon head coach, Mario Cristobal. And I know some of you are turned off by interviews, but let me just caution you. It's not your typical interview. I'm about to give you a taste of it in a second. We go really, really deep on stuff that's going to interest you. If you're an an Oregon fan, it's gonna fascinate you. I don't care if you're a North Carolina fan or a Baylor fan, you're gonna watch him And I swear to you, I've watched this stuff for a long time. I've never heard a head coach talking to me or anyone else go as deep on as many topics as Mario Cristobal did with us. The entirety of that interview is coming Thursday. But tonight, I wanted to give you a little sneak peek of it. So one of the things I always used to wonder about is the hiring process. When coaches interview for jobs, all you ever read about is a headline that says he interviewed, And then he either was extended an offer or they went in a different direction. But you never get to be a fly on the wall. You never get to sit down there in the room and listen to the hours upon hours of really in the weeds, granular football type questions, even knowing it probably would confuse you. You'd still be fascinated by it. So I told Mario Cristobal. You just hired Joe Moorhead, for example, as your offensive coordinator, which by the way, is a very much overlooked hire that is going to directly impact college football this upcoming year. But I digress, we can talk about that later. I asked Mario Cristobal, in fact, you're gonna hear me ask the question, take us in depth, take us behind the the curtain, talk as long as you want to. What is it like to hire a coach as a head coach at a Power Five program? Colin, roll the tape. Let me ask you a question that I don't really hear talked about much there are coaches that go all over the place every year. There's overturn on your roster virtually every year, but all we ever read is a headline that, for instance, Mario Cristobal in Oregon, they've hired Joe Moorhead as new offensive coordinator, but you never get to be a fly on the wall in the interview process, probably because it's in the weeds and 99% of us wouldn't understand what's being said, but yet it's still fascinating. Like, I don't know calculus, but I watch calculus get taught, and it spins my head, but I'm still fascinated by it. When you're interviewing someone, For a role like offensive coordinator, this is going to directly impact several games for you next year, one way or the other. What is an example or are some examples of really specific questions you ask and really specific things that you have a guy get into from the granular football level?
2: i like to credit um, Coach Mangini with the New York Jets, who obviously worked for Coach Belichick back in the day, and you're looking at me going, how does this even come into the conversation? (laughs) It comes into the conversation because in 2005 and six, uh, I was offered an interview opportunity with the New York Jets as a tight ends coach, and uh, I went up thinking this will be you know an hour or so or whatnot, and you we'll know, just share information, talk a little ball, and you no, know, that was an eight nine hour process where we talked football, but we demonstrated football, we scouted tape, the tape of the team and the players that I coach and then the team and the players that I maybe would have an opportunity to coach. I was given scouting film and asked to evaluate in detail, balance, body control, acceleration, deceleration, toughness, initial body quickness, you name it, uh, hips, uh, body stiffness, uh, toughness, motor. I was asked to demonstrate um, the introduction of a concept in front of an entire room full of coaches and administrators. I was asked to um, sit in on a meeting and digest a concept and then be able to regurgitate it. Uh, I was asked to stand up and demonstrate technique and fundamentals as it related to a block, a release, an escape, um, catching a football, high pointing a football, a red zone ball uh, versus, you know, a, um, a contested, you know, tight slant ball. It was an, a relentless process. So I'm sorry to, you know, divert into that, but that's what led to our process, which um, we, we first used that FIU where we were able to hire really great coordinators like um, like Scott Satterfield, you know, who ended up being a member of our staff back in the day. So when we bring in somebody, uh, it's, it's the ultimate, uh, I would say, litmus test in terms of character, knowledge, presence. We, uh, we do it first as an entire organization, have everybody sit in because we want everybody to get a feel. Because wherever we hire, right, can determine the fortunes of the entire organization. So I do want people to have a feel. And I trust a lot of people to come with me. I don't want people in our organization to be afraid to give me information on how they feel about things. But whatever is presented by that coordinator has to match the film that they're talking about, right? Because it's easy to talk about, well, you know, hey, we, you know, I believe in explosive plays and, and going tempo and making sure that we run by people. Okay, well, This clip of tape shows it's forty-two to nothing in the third quarter. (laughs) That's what you don't want. And when you start uh, when you start putting someone and letting them present their craft, number one is you want to see how well do they own their craft. Does that information? Does the way he teaches? Does it just roll off his tongue naturally? Right. Uh, You also want to gauge their presence. You know, ask them to teach as if you're a freshman. I'm a freshman. You teach me, I don't know, you know, anything from Adam's house cap to say Coach Saban's old line, right? And have them teach and go into it. And then once you get into it, they feel comfortable, then start throwing issues at them and have them respond. Well, all right, what do they bring corner fire? You know, you're running into an unblocked corner yet. You don't have something attached on the backside to get rid of the football. How do you deal with that and let them get into the way they, you know, resolve things because it's great if they own their, their craft but let's see them handle sudden change, so to speak, right? Let's see them handle adversity. Let's see them make an adjustment and are they going to get caught up and maybe stutter into it and try to talk their way around it or do they have a solution on the spot where they can roll with it? Um, Certainly want them around everybody in the building, uh, the recruiting staff, the operations staff, academic staff. Want to share thoughts on academics, uh, philosophies on dealing with young men and their families, it's, we just treat everybody that comes in the building, whether it's an intern, someone that's voluntarily working for us, coordinator, it's, it's a really rigorous process because every hire matters. Every single hire matters. And, um, you know, we don't claim to be, you know, uh, the all people, but we work extremely hard at it. And we take a great amount of pride in the fact that we know for a fact we have the best people in the industry.
1: So big thanks to Mario Cristobal. We're going to air that entire interview, pretty much that entire interview on the Thursday show. It's really good. It's like 30 plus minutes. We talked over an hour. We're going to trim it down to about 30 plus minutes of that. That extensive detail, that deep a dive. And uh, that's the kind of interview, if we're talking to a head coach, that's the kind of information we want to get out of them. You can go elsewhere for the surfacey cute type stuff. And I know that's a lot more in depth and that's a lot more nuanced and it doesn't appeal to a mass audience, but that's okay. Cause, uh, I think I know our audience pretty well. And I think that's the kind of stuff that you want. And it's stuff that I know you're not hearing pretty much anywhere else, because let me let you in on a little secret not a lot of folks really know what you guys are truly interested in. So I at least am smart enough to listen to you and know that's the kind of stuff you're interested in. But we are going to air that entire interview Thursday night with Mario Cristobal. So that's really, really good stuff. I wanted to get to this question and remind you of something in the process. As I told you, when we do our Late Kick Extra podcast that airs Wednesday, we record it Tuesday. Well, here's a little programming note. Since I'm going on vacation, I'm recording this week's Late Kick Extra podcast, which will air on Wednesday. I'm recording it early in the morning or maybe even tonight. So if you want to get your comments on there, I suggest you do so very quickly. You can do it a few different ways Twitter direct messages. You can email me, joshpate706 at gmail.com. You can see the pinned comment right below the video if you're watching on YouTube, and you can reply to that comment. or. The most advantageous way, and we're about to reward Johnny52 for doing this, is go to, specifically on iTunes, the comment section. Give us a five-star review and write a written review. Include your question in that written review. It's the most surefire way to get our attention. I read every question, but those get prioritized because those really help us out the most. So for example, Johnny Z, excuse me, Johnny Z52 right here in the uh, Apple Podcast review section. Love the show. I read all this. But then he gets to the question, with spring ball being canceled, less practice before the season starts, offensive production might be down to start. This is a pretty widely held expectation, or expectation I think, right now in the world of college football. If scoring is down, I can see the season having a bunch of retro, low-scoring SEC games. If so, do you think the team with the best defense will win the SEC? Georgia has the best returning defense. Does that give them an advantage? That being said, Georgia has the biggest question mark for offense out of anybody in the playoff conversation, but everyone has question marks due to lack of reps. Style of play will probably not look like the SEC of the past, but I could see a lack of production. This is an interesting concept. Here's what I think it'll be. I think it'll be an evolving situation. What I mean by that is, It's not all that uncommon for even in a normal season, far more games to be lost than they are won in the first couple of weeks of college football calendar. If you look around, that's always been one of our big axioms on this show long before we got to 24/7, is find the situation where a team is more likely to lose a game. How many new pieces do they have? How many question marks do they have? Where are the new coordinators at? How many new concepts have been installed here? And how many places that fit those parameters are also putting a critical mass of young players on the field? And then find those teams and find those teams playing veteran experienced teams with a lot of cohesion and synergy and a lot coming back in terms of philosophy. And that could be a situation, not always the case, but it could be a situation where a team just doesn't lose a game. Well, now you throw all these factors into account. And what I believe is going to happen is what you said. Defense will probably rule the day in some parts of the country early on. But the thing about Georgia is, let's look at their schedule. And in week three, when they, I believe that's when they open conference play, they go on the road to Alabama. Well, here's what Alabama has. Alabama's got a quarterback coming back, even though they lose Tua. They got a guy in Matt Jones that has already played. He started the Auburn game. He started the Michigan game. And he's got the pretty much the exact same offensive line he played behind. They got a loaded stable of running backs. Guys like Devontae Smith and Jalen Waddle are back from that loaded wide receiver core. And he's got the same coordinator in Steve Sarkeesian. So you wonder, that was already gonna be a good matchup, but you wonder when... Georgia goes in there in week three. Do they have that big advantage that the 2020 college football year has given a lot of defensive-oriented teams? Do they have that against Alabama? Because the thing about Georgia in the East is you look at them heads up with Florida right now, and you could make the argument. I saw a couple of people do this today. You can make the argument that I think Georgia's the better team, but maybe I think Florida's more likely to win the East. And anyone who says that is either thinking, Florida's gonna beat them heads up. I don't know how that logic would work. You think Georgia's better, but you like Florida to win on a neutral field. But I digress, your opinion, not mine. More than likely though, what you're thinking is, maybe Georgia beats Florida, but maybe Georgia loses two conference games. You know, maybe they lose to Auburn and Alabama, whereas Florida gets LSU at home and they play Ole Miss from the West. It's not out of the realm of possibility. I guess it could happen, but yeah, Johnny, I do think that that is a reasonable question to at least ask. All right, again, a quick reminder, Thursday night show gonna be a little bit different. You'll probably see me not in this studio, but instead in my home studio, which the powers to be at CBS were ever so nice to ship me on short notice. So we're gonna talk to Mario Cristobal a whole lot more. And I'm gonna get some Q and A, probably the ones I can't get to in the Late Kick Extra podcast. So subscribe to the 24 seven sports YouTube channel. If you haven't already, the number it just tick, 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 keeps going up. And also subscribe to the Late Kick podcast and give us that five star review. It's free. All of this is free. In fact, I don't think I've ever asked you to do anything that cost a dime. So we really, really appreciate it. We will see you back here Thursday night. Have a great week. Take care. For Colin, for Aaron, and for Tani, I'm Josh Pate. God bless.
0: Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you.